The great boxer, Muhammad Ali, was in an airplane one day. And uh, as they're flying, the captain announces over the PA speaker, he says, we're entering turbulence. I need everybody to put on their seatbelt. And um, everyone's clicking away, and the flight attendants are going up and down the rows to make sure everyone's got their seatbelt on. And she comes upon Muhammad Ali, and she says, excuse me, sir, you need to put your seatbelt on. We're entering some turbulence. And he looks at the flight attendant and says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she says, yeah, well, Superman don't need no plane either. <laughs> it's good for us to eat humble pie every once in a while, especially when we are overconfident, maybe even a little bit cocky. Uh, several years ago, I was vacationing in Cape May, New Jersey with my family, and we found a Groupon to go deep sea fishing out in the Atlantic Ocean, and I was really, really excited about this. Right before I left the house, I said to everyone, no need to prepare dinner. I will provide the catch of the day. <laughs> yeah, you know where this story's going. And, uh, and so I get on the big old ship, and the big old ship heading out into the, the water, and I'm excited, and I got my fishing pole. I am not an experienced fisherman, so I'm way overconfident. Um, and it wasn't a few minutes before I am throwing up over the side of the boat. I mean, I'm laying down, I'm, I mean, five or six times. I swear half the people on that ship were throwing up or laying down. It was just a disaster. I was able to fish for maybe a total of about five minutes when I caught a fish that was about that big. I was not about to bring that home for dinner. Uh, it was, honestly, it was one of the worst four-hour moments of my life. It was awful. And when I finally got home, uh, instead of providing the catch of the day, I laid down on the couch for the rest of the day and eating some humble pie. So um, it, it's not good to be overconfident. It's not good to be cocky and have to eat some humble pie, but that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about taking a faith-filled risk, right? doing something that makes you a little nervous um, because you're following after God, right? taking a faith-filled risk to follow after God. And today I want to look at the account of a man who did something that was risky. It was filled with faith. It was extraordinary. I love this story that's recorded by Matthew in his gospel, chapter 14, as we sort of get inspired to step out, to take a risk so that we can experience more of God in our lives. So let's take a look. Matthew 14, beginning with verse 22. Here's what Matthew tells us. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. There's like thousands of people. He's, you know, shaking hands, saying hi to people. Hey, thanks for coming. Moves on. And then he, the text tells us that right after that, he dismissed them, went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there all alone. This is something that Jesus did from time to time. He wanted to go up to a mountainside, mountaintop, to kind of get refreshed, to get his mind right, to get his heart filled up so that he could continue to do ministry. Right? So he's up there uh, for quite some time connecting with the Father. It's been a rough day. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's been a long day. He needs to get refreshed. He's got his guys in the boat getting ready to go to the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee, and Matthew tells us, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted or pummeled or beaten by the waves because the wind was against it. So I had the great privilege 
to visit Israel. And I took a picture of the Sea of Galilee. It's 12 miles from north to south, and it's about eight miles from east to west. These guys leave the shore. They get in a boat thinking it's just going to be a nice, relaxing boat ride. You know, turn on a little music. It's been a long day. We're going to be able to relax. But they discover that the, the sea is rough, and it is pummeling them. And they're probably about a couple of miles into the Sea of Galilee. Maybe they're halfway there. Uh, we know that in those days, the fishing boats were, were pretty small. It took a, a picture of me when I was there. Archaeologists, amazingly, were able to unearth the, these boats that they think was a 2,000-year-old boat, put it back together, and you can go visit it today. It's about as big as this boat, which is 12 feet. And I'm, they, they put probably all 12 disciples in one of these boats, and the wind and the waves are pummeling the boat, and they don't have any Dramamine. Okay, seasick guys are probably throwing. I mean, Peter's probably used to it because he's a fisherman, but most of these guys are struggling. It's late at night. The text tells us that during the fourth watch of the night, this is three o'clock in the morning. It has been anywhere between six and nine hours that they have been making no progress to get to the other side of the lake. And, you know, again, they're seasick, they're exhausted, they're tired. And we learned that during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Okay. So G there's some details we don't know, but I, I think Jesus is out there and he's praying, right? And he's, he's, maybe he's thinking, okay, wh why aren't they here yet? They, they should have been here by now. And so he thinks, all right, I'm going to walk on the water and I'm going to meet with these guys to make sure they're okay because he's, he's their rabbi, he's their teacher, he's being kind of a loving father. And he starts walking on the lake. Now, we know that Jesus is 100% God, he is divine, but he's also human. And he is dependent on the Father, enabling him to have the power to walk on water. Now, maybe it's a couple miles, maybe it takes him 10, 50, maybe it takes him an hour to finally show up to the disciples as they're just kind of battling the wind and the waves, they're exhausted, people throwing up, etc. And the text tells us that when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So maybe he's like 100 yards away, we don't know how much moonlight there is, we don't know how well they can see. But they are freaked out, and they think that it's a ghost. Now, this has been quite a day for the disciples so far. This is like an 18-hour day where they have experienced a lot. It is a roller coaster of emotions, right? We discover that the disciples were grieving John the Baptist's death. They had just discovered that day that John the Baptist had been beheaded, and we know that at least a couple of Jesus' disciples were formerly disciples of John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin, so they're mourning, they're grieving his death, they're kind of struggling with that. Then Jesus healed a whole bunch of sick people. Dozens and dozens of people were miraculously healed. And then, because there's this massive crowd, they're there, they want to hear Jesus teach, maybe they want to see a show, and it's getting late. So Jesus takes five loaves of bread and two fish, multiplies it, feeds 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, potentially 20,000 people get fed that day. There's so much extra that people can even walk away with a little doggy bag of, of loaves and fish. It's, it's such an amazing miracle. And then after that exhausting roller coaster, he says, I want you guys to take a boat ride. 
Just go get to the other side of the lake. I'm going up to pray. Just relax. Enjoy the sunset. It's going to be a good, it's going to be a good night. But as we discover, they're seasick at 3 a.m., and then they see a ghost to the point where they are so terrified, they are screaming. <laughs> Matthew tells us this is what happens next. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And, and Peter's like, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. It sounds like you, again, we don't know if he's 100 yards, 20 yards. It sounds like you, we don't know how much moonlight. Sounds like you, but I'm not completely sure it's you. I think it's you. If it's you, just tell me to come out on the water and I'll take the plunge. Now, when you read the New Testament, you discover that Peter is an impulsive guy, (laughs) which is good news for those of us who are impulsive. Like we say things and we're like, I wish I didn't say that. Uh, Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is being arrested by the servants of the high priest, Peter pulls out his sword, and he's just going to go battling all these guys, and he tries to cut off the head of the servant of the high priest, but he ducks, and he, he cuts off his ear, and Jesus needs to play Mr. Potato Head by picking up the ear and putting it back on his head, and Peter's like, Jesus like, put away your sword. I'm not here to start a rebellion, Jesus, Peter. You're too impulsive, and then mere minutes or hours later, Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times as Jesus is being questioned by Caiaphas. So he's kind of an impulsive guy. At one point, Jesus says to the disciples, we're going into Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, "Uh uh-uh, not on my watch. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. Even in the book of Galatians, when Peter's the leader of the early church, at one point, he's hanging out with all the Gentiles, the non-Jews, And then the Judaizers, these Jewish Christians who think that you still need to follow the Jewish law, they show up and Peter's like, hey, I wasn't hanging out with them. And the apostle Paul needs to call them out. So he's kind of an impulsive guy. But in this moment, Peter's not impulsive because he asks Jesus, do you want me to come? And Jesus says, come. Come on, just step out of the boat. We have this mission statement at the church. I love our our new mission statement. It's we help each other to take our next steps towards Jesus. And oftentimes, when Jesus says come, it means it's going to be a little bit scary. It's going to mean overcoming a fear that you might have. It's going to mean taking a faith-filled risk. Right? So here's, here's Peter. I, you just got to picture this. This is an amazing scene. That, right? It's, you know, guys are throwing, over the, throwing up over the boat, and, you know, it's rocking. And I, I wish I had some of the details. I'm going to ask Peter when I get to heaven someday. Like, were the disciples back there saying, come on, Peter, you can do it. Just take the plunge. Or like, Peter, you are crazy. What are you doing? And here he is kind of on the edge, right? You ever been like that? Like, you're about to jump off of a platform into the, the water or off a cliff or whatever, and you're like, all right. He's telling me to come, and that's my master. That's my guy. That's my rabbi. That's my Jesus. And he, I just picture he kind of puts one leg over the boat, you know. You know, maybe the disciples are like giving him a little push or messing with him a little bit. But he, he kind of puts his little, his big toe into the water, and he's like, wow. And then he puts his heel down, and he's like, oh, my goodness. I'm not sinking. And then he puts his other foot down, and he's like, 
I am walking on water. And he's got his eyes straight towards Jesus. He's not looking around. He's like, I, I got, as the author of Hebrews says, I got my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. And I'm not looking down. I'm not looking back. I got my eyes on you. And he experienced the power of God that day. And as John Orbrook said in his book, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. If you want to experience the power of God, you got to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Peter was the only one of the 12 that day who got to experience the power of God as the others were sitting in their safe boat. Okay, the story goes on. When he saw the wind, he began to sink. He took his eyes off the Savior and shifted it to the storm. And that's the point where he began to sink and fall down, right? And he's like, oh, maybe in that moment he's like, why did I do that? And, and the text tells us that he, I just kind of picture him raising up his hands like this, you know, and he cries out, oh, Lord, will you save me? Because I'm going under. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. He reached out his hand and he caught him. You know, sometimes some of us, when we gather together for worship, we put our hands up like this just because it's a reminder, God, I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. Because apart from you, I'm going under. I'm looking at the storm. I'm looking at my circumstances. God, I need you to lift me up. I need you to save me. And I don't know if Jesus, like, picked up Peter, because maybe Jesus has really big muscles, and he just kind of picked him up and tossed him in the boat, you know, or maybe he just picked him up like, and just let him get back in the boat. Um, but he looks at Peter in this moment where he's soaking wet. And he says this, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why'd you doubt? You were killing it, Peter. Like you were walking on water. You had your eyes fixed on me, and then you started to get distracted by the waves and the wind, and then you began to sink. This past summer, we looked at the book of James. We spent 17 weeks on James, and there's that section in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. And I, I believe, I don't know this for a fact, but perhaps when James wrote that, he was thinking of Peter on the water when he wrote if you need wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you generously without finding fault. And don't doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed back and forth by the wind. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. See, following Jesus, it requires us to be willing to eat humble pie. It requires us to say, you know what, this is risky. I might fall on my face. I might sink. It might be embarrassing. I might have to ask for forgiveness. But I'm not going to play it safe anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus into the deep end. My friend Jeremy Gorham, who's a pastor across town, one of their uh, core values is playing it safe is risky. Because I think sometimes we mistakenly think that staying in the boat right, where it's comfortable, and I got all my people around me, and everything's cool, and I know the storm's out there, but I don't really want to be out in the storm because it's nicer. Sometimes we think that, that this is the good life, but it's risky to stay in the boat, and here's why it's risky, because the more you say no to Jesus, the easier it becomes to say no to Jesus. 
Now, I love you guys. I love you so much. There are some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for decades, and you have become an expert at saying no to Jesus to the point where your, your, your conscience gets, gets singed. You've lost the sensitivity of the Spirit. Some of you, you're in here right now, and you're like, I can't even remember the last time I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And it might be because you've been playing it safe because you're not willing to step out and Walk on water and experience what God has for you. And isn't it true that when Jesus says, come sinking, it's better than sitting in the boat. Because at least you get to experience the power of God. And then when you sink, when you fail, he's there to pick you back up. So the question I have for you today is simply this. What's he asking you to do? What's he asking you to do? Because I think he looks at all of us and he says, come follow me. Take another step towards me. It's going to be risky. You might sink. You might have to eat some humble pie. But you'll also experience the power of God. So I came up with just a three-step checklist when it comes to faith-filled risk. And it looks like this, that we would discern, right? Uh, we don't want to be reckless and do foolish things. Right? I mean, you shouldn't leave this sermon and say, oh, Dave told me to take risks, and you sign up for a ticket to Vegas, and you go, I'm all in, you know. Um, there's the old joke about uh, St. Peter's by the pearly gates, and a man dies, and he comes up to heaven, and St. Peter says, so what's your merit? What good things did you do? This is not a theologically correct joke. And... The man says, well, there was that one time where I came upon this, this little lady who was being harassed by this group of bikers. And so I went up to the biggest one, six foot eight, all muscled up and intimidating looking. And I slapped him on the head and I kicked over his bike and I pulled out his nose ring and I threw it on the ground. I said, you mess with her one more time, you're going to have to answer to me. St. Peter said, man, that's impressive. When did that happen? And he goes, about two minutes ago. <laughs> so you need to discern, is he asking you to do this? We don't want to do things that are foolish or things that are reckless. We need to ask God for wisdom that he's actually asking me to take this step. I was thinking about, um, about five years ago when we did the REACH project, and uh, Woody Swan was the leader of that project, and when the price tag came in, it was like $900,000. And I remember taking Woody out to La Fiesta, the Mexican restaurant, and I said, I said, is there any way we can get this thing lower? I mean, I grew up poor. That sounds like a lot. Are we sure we want to stand up in front of the church and say, let's do this? And Woody has this great listening skill, right? And he's listening, and he's asking me questions. And, and I walked away feeling like I was listened to. And a couple weeks later, he came back to me, and he said, we're taking the plunge. We're going to spend $900,000 on this project. I'm like, all right, well, let's go. And some of you were here last December 20th when we burned the mortgage and almost set the stage on fire because there's a scar right there to remind us of us taking a plunge as a church and God coming through. So sometimes we need somebody else to kind of say, you're being a little too, bit too fearful. You're being a little bit too conservative. Let's just, let's together. Lock arms and let's step out of the boat and see what God can do. So discern, decide, make a decision. 
I mean, how often in life do we just kind of drift and we, well, we'll see what happens here and we'll see if this works out. We'll see if I have enough money and we just kind of wait and we get locked into paralysis of analysis, right? I mean, some of you, you got to make a decision to to just, just jump in. And stop waiting for the climate to change and stop waiting for things to happen. You just got to go for it. Make a decision and don't drift and don't doubt and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So I want to get a little bit personal here. I wrote down some things that we fear, all right? And for some of you, you know that God's asking you to be generous with your finances, to step out of the boat and to be more giving but you fear, you fear stepping out and you're missing out on what God might want to do in your life. Some of you, God's asking you to make a career change, but you, you just kind of fit, I, got, I did this degree and what about these people and is it going to work out financially? But you know that God's asking you to do this and you need to step out and, and make the decision. Some of you, you have a fear that you're going to be lonely for the rest of your life. And you're, you know, maybe you're here and you're in a relationship, right? And you're, you're like in the boat with, with, you know, deadbeat Dave right here. And you've been dating him for months and months. And you're in this safe little boat. But you know, you got this nagging thought in your mind. I shouldn't be with him. I need to break it off. I need to step out of the boat and let deadbeat Dave go down the stream and fall off his own little waterfall. (laughs) But you fear being lonely. And maybe the message you need to hear today is you just need to step out that boat and risk being lonely. Maybe the other side of the coin is some of you, you fear commitment. You've been dating her for two years And you are terrified to get down on one knee. And you either need to get down on a knee or you need to cut it off. You are stuck in paralysis of analysis. You are stuck in your nice little safety boat. And Jesus is saying, you got to make a decision. Oh, it's getting hot up in here. How about this one? Some of you, when it comes to uh, addictions, right, whether it's an addiction to porn, an addiction to some kind of substance abuse, and it's like, I got my little addiction because it makes me feel good and it gives me peace, and I ain't telling anybody else about it because this gives me comfort and this gives me security, and you need to get out of the boat, right, and you need to throw up your hands in the air and you need to say, I need help and I need rescued, and in so doing, you might get free for the first time and you may experience the power of God unlike you've ever experienced it before. So what's he asking you to do? What are you afraid to do? Faith-filled risks require stepping out of the boat and following Jesus because he's looking at you and he's saying, just come, come. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Make a decision, and let's go. Isn't this amazing that Jesus took an unschooled, ordinary, impulsive, seasick, exhausted, and afraid fisherman, and he empowered him to walk on water. And when he sank, Jesus rescued him, and he rebuked him, and he recommissioned him. And this is the story of Peter 
failure, rescue, and then he wipes all the dirt off his back and he says, let's go. And Peter led the greatest movement the world has ever known. Be caught, not because he was perfect, but because he was willing to take a faith-filled risk. So, I want to leave you with this question. And I hope this question haunts you in the spirit of the holiday that's coming up next week. I hope this spirit haunts you. I hope this question haunts you <laughs> more than they were haunted by what they thought was a ghost in the other part of the Sea of Galilee. This is such a great question. You should talk about this question with your spouse. You should wrestle this question to the ground. It's simply this. What am I doing today or what could I be doing this week that I could not do apart from the power of God? What am I doing today? Or what could I be doing this week that would be impossible unless God showed up? That's the kind of life we want to live, right? That's the kind of adventure we want. I mean, a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was talking to Richard and Addie, they're sitting right there, met them for the first time, and I, I said, hey, it's great to have you here. And they said, I love this worship center because it looks like a boat. And then he went on to tell me that he actually makes boats. And I was like, can I borrow your boat for my sermon? So we brought the boat in here today. And uh, I, I love this illustration of like we're all on a boat right now, right? And, and my goal, my hope is that when you come here Sunday morning that this is a place of refreshment, that we just go on a boat ride together right? And we look at the text and we press into Jesus and we worship him and we get filled up and we get inspired. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy when you come in here. I wouldn't ask you to do anything crazy like eat bitter chocolate or anything like that. Um, I'm not going to ask any of you first-time guests to stand up and tell your story. We want this to be a safe place where you get inspired and refreshed. But at some point, we got to leave the worship center. We got to leave the boat. And hopefully you'll come over to the gym for humble pie and pizza, and you might even go up to somebody you don't know and take a little risk and say, hey, my name is Dave. What's your name? And it might not work out well. You might have to eat some humble pie, but humble pie is good for you. Humble pie is real good for you. Failure, it's good for you. And Jesus will always be there to pick you up, to catch you, to inspire you. Here's the great thing. Peter didn't even have the Holy Spirit inside of him. But if you're a Jesus follower, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. Lives in you. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit of God that enabled Peter to walk on water lives in you. So stop playing it safe. Discern. Decide. And do it. And watch God come through. And I don't know what this is for you today. What's risky for me might not be risky for you, and what's risky for you might not be risky for me. It's different for all of us. That's why he looks at each one of us and he says, come on, follow me. Come follow me. I'll change your life. So are you willing to do what Jesus is asking you to do? Are you willing to step out of the boat. I want to invite one of my humble heroes to come up in a moment. Worship team's going to come up right now 
as we prepare to close out this service. But I do need to talk to those of you who are watching the service online right now. And um, we cannot show the rest of this service online because of the security issues pertaining to uh, where she lives and the missionary work that she does. So if you're watching online, you should just come out right now, meet us in the gym, have some humble pie and pizza, and you'll get to know this person who we're about to introduce you to. So God bless you, and we will see you next week for the rest of this, or maybe we'll see you this afternoon for humble pie and pizza. God bless those of you who are watching online. Thanks for being with us.